find something in decent condition, you know, the trailer you get for free is going to cost you way more than the trailer that, that you pay a little more for and get something in a little better shape up front. So it's well worth it because you're going to spend it eventually anyways. Hey, this is Heath Paget, and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 99. The RV Entrepreneur is a weekly podcast for nomadic entrepreneurs. Today on the podcast, I'm interviewing Paul and Caroline Lassatinola from Vintage Camper Trailers, a website, magazine, and community with a massive cross-country following. They host sold-out rallies all over the country, which I've heard are just really big, awesome parties and have personally restored over 30 vintage camper trailers. A few things that we talk about on today's episode is how Paul and Caroline started vintage camper trailers back in 2006 with really just a passion for restoring vintage camper trailers for themselves and how that has turned into a business that is thriving and has thousands and thousands of subscribers for their magazine subscription and how their rallies have reached hundreds and hundreds of people. We also talk about how to keep your business debt-free and recession-proof and what to look for when buying and restoring a vintage camper trailer. Support for today's episode is provided by Passport America. Passport America is the original 50% discount camping club and something that has saved Alyssa and I hundreds if not thousands of dollars over the past few years. Participating campgrounds will give you a 50% discount rate for your stay, plus they have an easy-to-use app that lists out nearly all of their 1900 locations. Considering a nightly rate for a campsite can be anywhere from $25 to $100 or more per night at the fancy campgrounds, you can literally make your money back from using Passport America the first time that you use it. To learn more and receive three extra months on your first year's membership, go to PassportAmerica.com and use the discount code RVE. All right, without further ado, let's jump into today's episode with Paul and Caroline from Vintage Camper Trailers. Thank you guys for being on the podcast with me today. Our pleasure, Heath. So we got to meet and hang out for a week in the Florida Keys, which I think is probably the best introduction, like if you're going to become friends with somebody, to be able to just sit around for a week and hang out and sip fruity drinks. And so we had a really nice way of meeting, actually. It was incredible. We we really had the time of our lives with not only the trip to the Keys, but the people that we met. So yeah, we, we can't rave enough about that time. When you guys meet somebody for the first time, how do you explain to them what, what y'all do for a living and what you do for work? Well, most people that we tell that we are in the vintage camper trailer community kind of cock their head, look sideways, and ask us if we mean like Airstreams. And, and Airstreams are a big part of the community, but you can really tell the people that get it and connect to it and the people that just wonder what in the world are you talking about vintage camper trailers? Who, who would, why would you want one of those things? And so it's a, you know, you get one or the other usually. And so whenever like digging deeper, what exactly do you guys do? Like what, when you describe vintage camper trailers, how did this all start and, and what made you guys want to start this website and this magazine and start restoring vintage camper trailers? Well, we got started over probably 10 years ago now. And it was really just a desire. We had little kids and we thought, oh my gosh, what do you do with these things? And maybe we should, <laughs> maybe we should try camping. And so I'm rather thrifty. I found a little old camper trailer. We purchased it and figured, okay, let's go try camping. And the more we did it, the more people commented how cute our little trailer was. And I've always had old cars. So 
to me, the connection seemed obvious. You know, you hook an old trailer to your old car, and then you're really cool. And um, I wrote an article for a Hot Rod magazine, and people that were already collecting vintage trailers very underground 10 years ago started calling me and going, hey, I read your article, and you got to come down and meet us, and we're doing vintage trailers. And I thought, that can't be. I just invented this hobby. How can, <laughs> how can you be doing it? So it really, we stumbled into it. And, and so there was no expectation that was this was going to be anything that would become y'all's business or your life. We didn't no. even know if we'd like camping. So. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> and so I take it the kids enjoyed it. And when you said, we don't know what to do with these little ones, I wasn't sure if you're talking about the trailers or the kids, but now I know you're talking about the kids. I was talking about the kids, yeah. <laughs> so they enjoyed it too. Yes, they did. Well, and I have to say that I grew up in Alaska and it was my idea. I said, we need to go camping. And so when we first got the trailer and we went camping, it was a whole new experience. It just takes different roads and it was a great opportunity to get the kids out and get to see different parts of where we live. So you guys now host the rallies. How many rallies do you guys host a year? We do three or four big ones a year. We would love to do more, but we've found that there's a real balance um, with publishing the magazine and, and the other aspects of the industry and the other aspects of our business that we do. We also need to stay somewhat free to go see what other people are doing. So as much as we love doing them, I could do one a month if if I could. But with as much as we go and, and visit other rallies, we, we kind of have fixed on about four big ones a year. And by big ones, like 500 you guys had at a rally last week, which is insane. So I want to get more into the rallies in the magazine. But so you, you, you renovated an old vintage trailer. People thought it was awesome. And you're like, yeah, I just this is a cool niche. So what was kind of like the first thing that you guys did after that restoration? Like, did you start the website? Did you start a Facebook page? Like, did you go out and restore another one? Uh, what did you do after that? So after we restored our first trailer and realized that this was kind of something cool, we started the hokiest little website. Honestly, I don't even remember what was on it, but Facebook was kind of budding then. And we started a Facebook page and it grew pretty rapidly, even even from early on. And then once we started publishing the magazine, uh, our Facebook page shot up to well over half a million followers and likers. And, and, and that really is what parlayed us to be able to launch the magazine and, and do the other things that we do because of our connections through social media that we got early on as, as Facebook was kind of starting up and growing. So during this time, you guys were just restoring old trailers on the side. How, how did you grow so many fans all of a sudden? Like, you guys have a crazy amount of followers. And I mean, I love looking at old trailers as much as the next person. Was it just one of those things where you guys are just posting photos of all of these old restoration jobs you were doing and people loved them? I'm going to answer this because <laughs> Paul is so disciplined. And once he starts something, he carries through with it every day. And when he started that Facebook page, daily he would find his personal pictures and post them. You know, he would go take pictures at rallies, and daily he would post a new picture. So the Facebook constantly had new material, and that causes interest. And people were just continually sharing and liking the page. And 
there was a point we would come on and it just seemed like the Facebook page would double overnight and it just kept growing and growing and growing. And that led his discipline is what grew this business because he was just adamant to daily um, attend to it. And even though he has his day job at night, he would come in and post a picture. So in my opinion, the reason that we are where we are is because Paul's discipline. Early on, too, Heath, we, we thought that, you know, the only way to make money in the hobby was building trailers. And so early on, we were building and flipping trailers and quickly realized it takes a whole lot of time, more, more time than people realize. And while we were making money at it, we realized you could only do these things so fast and isn't something that we do anymore. We restore our own trailers now because we're keeping up with the other aspects of the business, but Early on, that seemed like the obvious way to turn what we were loving doing into a business. And we did that for probably only about a year that we actually restored trailers and sold them or restored them for other people. And now we just restore our own trailers and have our own collection that we show. And we're doing a lot of shows this, this week at, at Big Sack Auto Show and, and Pomona RV Show and things like that. So we have a collection that we we show now, but we don't really restore for other people. How much in general can you make from a trailer flip? I know it, it depends on a million different factors as far as what year it is, how good a shape it's in, and, and a lot of other things, but is there just a like a general amount that you could look to make? Say if you bought a 75 Airstream and it was in decent shape and you bought the shell of it and you did a rebuild on it, you know, nothing too crazy, and then you decided to sell it six months later, just if anybody out there was wanting to do a type of trailer flip, you know, is there a general amount that you could say without actually getting into the nitty gritty details of how much you could make on something like that? It's almost impossible. I mean, there's so many factors simply starting with how much you paid up front and people do a lot of different types of builds. I mean, you can take a 48 Spartan. There's one on our website right now for 25 grand. I know a guy that sold one last week for 125 grand. Honestly, I think the one on our website for 25 grand is a deal. But this guy does these extreme restorations and flat screen TVs and and all this crazy stuff and and he just sold one for over six figures. So it's so broad that there's just no telling. And and I don't know how fast you work and how good your work is. So somebody could put together a trailer and it could be a crummy restoration or, or use inexpensive materials, and that's going to change the value. The guy that just sold one for over six figures, do you know how long that build took him? He's got a bit of a crew, and I would guess that that's probably about a year-long build. I know a few guys that build trailers in that category, and you know, probably six months to a year for, for something of that level, pretty full-time. What is it that you guys feel is the reason so many people are attracted and this community has grown so much around you guys and and vintage camper trailers like when you're posting this content sure you know posting daily is important to social media but what is it that makes people want to stop and comment and ooh and ah over this and share it with all their friends like what is the draw that you guys think that people have towards what you do when we wrote our first book i interviewed hundreds of people and over and over, people are connected to the trailers because of their past and going camping with their parents or their grandparents growing up 
in these trailers and they look at them and there's just this memory of this wonderful time in their life. And that's one section. And then there's the the new kids like you and Alyssa that are young that maybe didn't grow up in these trailers, but you have an appreciation for the art and the craftsmanship that went into them. And there's just an emotional connection to this time when these trailers were built. And people just think of it as a more simple time and a time of community. And I think especially in our group, over and over in the interviews, I'd say, what do you love most about the vintage camper trailer community? And without exception, the people was the answer. The community that they've built, the friends. We have family in Alaska and not near us. And the people in the vintage trailer community have become grandparents to my kids or aunts and uncles and teaching my kids how to fix a bike or decorate a cake and they just become family and I think that that is the connection first it's from the trailers and then it transitions to the family that's created by being part of the community. That's awesome. So after you guys started growing this Facebook community and restoring other trailers first for clients and then for you guys what did that timeline look like from the beginning of that first trailer to growing up enough of a following that you guys felt you could start turning this into a business? That was probably about five years from when we first bought the trailer to then we discovered that, hey, there's people out doing some little rallies and people would get together and take their old campers and and go camping. And we probably did that for four or five years, I would guess. And then We talked about the idea of a publication. I was writing the articles for the Hot Rod publication that I was doing, and we realized there was nobody really bringing community or the term we we use as uniting the community and letting people know when these rallies are. And, you know, the, the little groups might know, but nobody was publicizing it to another group. So you'd have these little sanctions or clubs or whatever you call them, but but nobody was really... Uh, unifying that and so my mom actually had suddenly passed away during this time and and we just thought you know what life's too short let's give this a try let's give it a couple of years and we actually started our magazine as a kind of a glorified little newspaper or a tabloid so it was a newsprint thing it kind of mimicked another publication that I was writing for and and we started off slow I guess you know we started off somewhat cautious to make sure it would work. And we said, you know, we'll invest in this for two years. And if it's not making money in two years, we're done. We'll bail. And it's from day one and in the black. So we've been very fortunate with kind of the way we started, the pacing, the plan, and kind of sticking to our purpose. We very much focus on the people and the vintage trailers in the community. So with the magazine, how often does it go out? We do six issues a year every other month. Six issues a year every other month. And how many subscribers do you guys have at this point, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, we we run about 5,500 plus paid subscribers um, that that take the magazine across the U.S. and and a few more in foreign, but but that's a small percentage. But it runs around 5,500 plus. 
What made you guys decide to go with a print magazine? Like, were there other avenues that you guys were looking at monetizing your efforts? Or, like, why did magazines seem like this is the, the best way to go? You know, I still think that there's something cool about print. And I, I mean, we all spend time online, but, you know, we really advocate for people to get out from behind their silly computer, <laughs> get to a rally, go do something, meet people. You know, it's part of us. It's part of that vintage thing. You know, it's still something you can take with you camping and open anytime you want you on your coffee table. Or I think there's still that element out there that likes to see themselves in print. I mean, everybody's trailer has been on Facebook or Instagram or here or there, but we have people that buy up dozens of copies when it comes out in print. And there's still some status to that, that you were in the magazine, you know, people will advertise, we'll find trailers advertised for sale as featured in vintage camper trailers magazine. And, and so there's still something romantic about that. Is it a growing thing? You know, I think anybody would tell you that quote magazines are dying, but we've developed a profitable rag and a dying category, if you will. So it, you know, it's been good for us, and I still think there's a space for that. Will there be in 10 or 20 years? That's debatable. But right now, we seem to be finding enough people to support it, and it's a good hub for us for everything we do. So the magazine is just one aspect of what we do, but it kind of gives us something different because there's a zillion Facebook pages and a zillion websites that you can go look online, but there's not a zillion magazines out there that you can take. It's so true, and even though across the board, magazines may be dying out in some regards. In the RV industry, the distribution, it's probably one of the best industries, arguably, to have a magazine, I would say, because you have all of the different in-person locations across the country, whether that be campgrounds or uh, service shops or camping worlds or whatever. And obviously, a lot of the demographics still skews much older, which are used to traditional print publications. And so if there was an industry to launch a magazine, like this seems like a pretty good one. <laughs> exactly. And, and in talking with other publishers in the space that are still doing print, you know, that could be the reality that maybe our clients are dying. But, but um, at the same time, we've got a very niche category and not a lot of competition. And, uh, you know, I think that's where our first strike advantage into the space has put us in a good position. And, and for now, it's a good thing. And, and, and it's fun. It's it's fun to put out the magazine. I mean, it's got its trials and tribulations. It'd be a lot easier to send everybody an email. But again, everybody's doing that. So, Yeah. How do you guys pick where your time can be most valuable in your business? And I know like you guys have a family and you want to, I'm sure, spend, Paul, you probably want to spend more time building out these trailers. And I know y'all throw some awesome parties at your rallies. And so one thing that I struggle with is just trying to figure out where can I put my time? Like if there's little circles that overlap, like one is, you know, earning income and making money. And, and there's another circle that is things I love doing. And another circle is things that are valuable to other people. I think there's like a small intersection where, you know, you can provide value to other people. You can earn your living and you can do something you enjoy. How have you guys worked to find those within this business? <sighs> Honestly, that's probably the biggest struggle because you are in a business that's also your hobby, also your social life. And that's probably our biggest challenge and something that we've been the most time kind of hashing out and constantly evolving and developing 
trying to really pick and choose. We got tied to some obligations that we made far in advance, and they were obligations that we agreed to do for free. And then we had some other opportunities for some some paid appearances, and and it you know you got to stick to what you said you'd do. But it's just it really is a challenge of we've got to make money because we've got to support ourselves, but but we're also in a hobby and 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 like to go just spend time and hang. And I don't know. I guess I don't have an easy answer. We struggle with it constantly, and we're constantly trying to evolve and and be better at that overlapping in that balance I, I do love to build trailers and i kind of go in spurts so when nothing else is going on i'll go crazy and and spend a lot of time and and build and 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 then i might go months and not even be inside of a trailer and, and that's frustrating we do what we have to do when it when it's in front of us you know when the rallies come and we spend our time getting ready for a rally but when we make commitments, we always go back to what is our core values and why are we doing this? And a lot of that is dealing with the people. We want to give people that want to be in this hobby the opportunities to enjoy it, to become connected, to get involved. And we really feel like that is our mission, to make this available to anyone that wants to. So we go back. At, like how are we doing that and then the business and how it affects our family so we have a lot of discussions and talk about yes this fits into our time and space and how it's going the time of year my kids play sports are involved in 4-H and so there's a certain time there's one weekend when it's there and that's off limits so we just have had to to really sit down with the calendar and we have permanent markers and we write things in, and there they are. I love that. And Paul, you are still working a day job, and that's something that we chatted a little bit about while we were in the Keys. Caroline, how long have you been working on the business full-time? Well, I came home when we had our kids. I was a teacher, and I um, quit working. And, you know, Paul's always been an entrepreneurial spirit. He's had lots of businesses, and he's always had that idea of working himself and so even before we did the magazine we grew pumpkins one a couple years and <laughs> sold them out hard I mean so there's always been that spirit full-time in this business probably since the magazine started five years ago I was homeschooling at the time and now our kids are in junior high and high school and they're going to public school so my time has become more available to help in the last couple of years I've been pretty much full-time helping some of the things that we talked about if I mean if you don't mind talking about it it's just kind of the friction that you've had is obviously you you love this business and you love rallies and restoring trailers and everything that you guys do here what has been kind of that scary leap to, to go into this full-time because I know for so many people when do you know it's the right time to jump into something you can obviously say like you know, the finances are this amount or, but it's like the stars never really all aligned. So how have you went about, you know, working towards this transition to where you can do this full time? I'm probably most unqualified. To speak on <laughs> it's his wife saying, you're killing yourself. You've got to give something up. You're killing yourself. You got to give something up. Mm. You know, we, we kept setting benchmarks. Well, when the, the business is making more money than than the day job and and that came and went and you know 
we've set benchmarks and, and most of it's been, you know, very fear based of giving up a steady paycheck. And I'm fortunate because I have a job that is flexible. And so it does allow me to do both, but it, 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 it has hit a point of really the workload and the shifting of the gears and, you know, shifting from my day job that's just a job to my business that I love all of the aspects of. And it's become more of a time thing that it's just, there's just not enough time in the day anymore. And, and, you know, we're still a mom and pop. So we're still answering the phone, answering a hundred emails a day, promoting our business. We're also the creative. We do all of our own layout and, and, you know, ad sales, if you will, which I don't have time for. So if people call me and want to advertise, they can, but we're not even, we don't have time to solicit advertisers for the magazine. So I think that probably I should have quit a while ago, the day job, just because I think there really is that crossroads where now that, that time and that energy and that shifting of those gears to do that and think about that is holding us back from growing even more rapidly than we are. You know, we've been very fortunate and our businesses, you know, seems to be fine, but, but there's so much more that we want to and, and could be doing. And, and hopefully you know, within the next couple of months, we'll, we'll really get the guts. And by we, I mean me, <laughs> but it's, it, it's hard. It's hard to just tell somebody to quit sending you a paycheck, you know, in, in this economy, especially, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a big step. And I would say to your listeners that are contemplating this, we have sat down with our budget and looked through it and determined what we need. And we are adamant about being debt free. You know, if we don't have the money, we don't do it. So we've just made some real financial uh, boundaries in our life that have protected us. And that has given us the opportunity to grow this business. And now it's giving us the opportunity to make that decision for him to come home. And it is, it is scary in the aspect of retirement because now it's all on you. And it's a big step, but I think it's one that he needs to make. Caroline touched on it. And I would say if anybody was listening to this as a how-to video, the one thing I, I would be an expert on is... First and foremost, be debt-free. Don't take on a career change with car payments and RV payments and figure that stuff out first because you're very free when you're debt-free. Yeah, totally. I It's kind of an interesting thing on, on the note of debt. Alyssa and I, I think I may have told you this when we chatted on the phone the other day, but we just finished paying off our student debt a few weeks ago, and it was a big ordeal before we hit the road. Do we go and travel the country and do this kind of crazy thing and try to make this work, or do we stick around in Austin and keep our jobs and pay off our debt? And ultimately, we decided to go hit the road, and we prolonged those payments a little while, but uh, with $30,000 of student debt, we had to get serious about that and ultimately ended up paying it off again just a few weeks ago. We got to the finish line. So it felt good to say, well, thank you. We're excited. And it was just one of those things where we didn't have to choose one way or the other. We were able to do both chase what we were passionate about, traveling and RVing and things like that, and still kind of be responsible. But side note. <laughs> the reason I the reason I brought that up about debt is because we've been doing more work with Winnebago and I learned a lot about the RV companies that went out of business during the recession basically went out of business because they were carrying too much debt. A company like Winnebago, they stayed in business through 2008, 2009 when all these other companies went out because they weren't carrying 
large amounts of debt. I don't know. I kind of what I took away from that is, wow, you know, you know, the sun doesn't always shine and, and, and opportunity isn't always good. And just because I haven't lived through a recession while working, that doesn't mean that there won't be another one and that we shouldn't prepare for that. Well, and you guys have been fortunate because of your work ethic and you've made it work. But even that $30,000 off your back is going to make your whole world different for the next 10 years. You know, I mean, being debt free and staying debt free gives you a different perspective. And unfortunately, most people don't enjoy that luxury of of not having those payments. And you can tell it's kind of a big point for us. I mean, it's it's very much a part of our core to remain debt free and and pay as you go. And if we're going to advocate something in doing this full time, that would be it. Yeah, I love that. When you guys think about running and building vintage camper trailers over what has now been over 10 years, because I know you first started in 2006, what has been the biggest mistake or lesson learned from any experience so far in the business? <laughs> I, I chuckle because we just came off of our biggest event of the year and it about killed us. So <laughs> I think our biggest mistake is trying to do too much at those events. And I say that a little bit in jest, you know. Before I got into this, Caroline mentioned that I've had several small businesses, and there was a juncture in life maybe 20 years ago where I had several businesses that were kind of on the edge and selling and splitting up partnerships and things, and I was very close to maybe having to file bankruptcy if if I didn't get some things sold and cleared up and get out of some leases and, you know, obviously a very different time in my life than now debt-free and an advocate for that, but it really made me gun shy. And so we really put things in place that we weren't going to do and we're going to do. And, you know, having no employees and no payroll. And if we need help, we piece out the work, but we don't have employees. We don't have payroll. I don't have rent on a building. We're fortunate to live on property where we have space to do this, you know? So, so I think that we haven't made a whole lot of mistakes and things because, I've been a little cautious. I've been a little... You made the mistakes before. <laughs> yeah, I made the mistakes before. Yeah, that's, a, that's a, good, a, a good way to put it. You know, again, we've been very fortunate. We've been in the black since day one. We've tried some things, you know, little stuff. Um, tried a subscription management system that didn't end up working out for us. And, but, but, you know, very, very minor. And, and, and I think that was just from being cautious and being prepared and planned and and really thinking things through and uh you know with with my contacts with people like you I'm a sponge for business information and so I really seek out mentors and and listen and I'm a little cautious I I think so mm. yeah no that's that's great I want to kind of shift gears and talk a little bit about what y'all are experts in other than, you know, all of this debt free and, and all this is conversations great, but, but talking about actually restoration of our RVs, cause there's a lot of people who listen, who are transitioning to life on the road and Alyssa and I are interested in renovation. So if somebody out there is looking or is considering the idea of renovating a trailer, whether that's what you call vintage. And I think what is actually qualifies for vintage? Is that under 79? So for us at our rallies, we say 1972 or earlier after 72, the materials that they used and the shapes of the trailers started becoming distinctly different. They were painted interiors and square boxes. And so 72 and prior, we really don't 
look at anything if it's not in, at least in the 60s and, and earlier, but, you know, somewhere around that time. Personally, they, we don't yeah, look at anything early. You that know, we buy, personally. But we have trailers. Some people have trailers in the 70s that have made them look really cute and vintage. And there's always room for wiggling. So it's not like a hard line. Yeah. With what we look for now after some maturity in the hobby is aluminum frame trailers. And with the little canned hams and the cute little wooden frame trailers, if they haven't been restored there's usually always a lot of water damage in the framework. And while that's very repairable, it is time consuming and, and requires, you know, some level of craftsmanship or skill to blow a little trailer apart and repair some of that. And so what we advise is if you do want to get into the vintage trailer thing, you're going to spend the money either up front or eventually because it's just going to require repairs if it's not been restored. And if you can't do that work yourself, those renovations can get very expensive. So we encourage people to buy the best trailer that they can possibly afford and start there with a reputable builder or somebody that has good documentation or good credentials, good references, because there's a lot of hacks out there too. But find something in decent condition. You know, the trailer you get for free is going to cost you way more than the trailer that, that you pay a little more for and get something in a little better shape up front. So it's well worth it because you're going to spend it eventually anyways. That's a that's a great point. And so Alyssa and I, every time I see Airstreams, I, I geek out and I say, oh, that Airstream looks sexy. I love it. And Alyssa says, you say that every time we see an Airstream. And I probably do because I just think they look really cool. And I know they don't have good storage, you know, especially for full timers. So I know that that allure might wear off. But one of the things that uh, reasons we upgraded to a bigger RV because we wanted more workspace. And I what I love about the Airstream is that, you know, I've seen a lot of people build out really nice workspaces in Airstreams. Like they have a nice big desk or something like that. And they have a really clean work area. And there's just something that appeals to me like that. That's why I use Apple products. You know, like there's the appeal of using the sleek computer kind of makes you feel smarter, even if it is total BS and it doesn't work. It just, I like it. So <laughs> if, if, if I wanted to, you know, buy an Airstream with the purpose of I'm going to fit this rig out to be something that we could live in for a while and also build a really sweet sweet workspace would you suggest that i find one or look for one that has a nice you know shell like buy buy a little bit more make sure there's there's not really any damage in the exterior frame and then also obviously has already plumbing and everything else in there well what kind of advice would you give me exactly so first of all i'll preface this with i am not an airstream guy so that is a huge valid part of our community but um, and I think there are the guys like you that, you know, that just really appeals to them with, with us. We got involved early on and, and really like the wood interiors and the, you know, that warmth part of the some of the other trailers and the Airstreams are a much more industrial, you know, certainly a beautiful trailer and certainly an iconic part of the hobby. The beauty about them is they're aluminum framed. And so a trailer like that's going to be very durable and very appropriate for full timing and, and cross country because they're so sturdy. I mean, they're just a fantastically built trailer. So the only rot you could have when looking for an Airstream is in the, the wood flooring. And typically in an Airstream, they don't leak from the top vent like a little canned ham does. They'll weep from the windows and that water will run down the walls and it will rot the floors 
like inside the cabinet. So you might walk in an Airstream and it'd be real solid and you'd think, oh, these floors are great, but you get in behind the cabinets and the plywood delaminated. So if you're buying an Airstream, check along the walls for rot. But a fantastic trailer to build your own floor plan in because they're sturdy without the structure of the cabinets where with a little canned ham, your interior closet that goes floor to ceiling, that's what's going to give you your sheer strength. And, and everybody wants to cut those out and create more space and put in a desk. And, and as soon as you do that, you've got a wobbly shed that's going down the road at 70 miles an hour. So Airstreams are fantastic. I like Streamlines, Silver Streaks, Clippers, Spartans. Those are also other aluminum frame trailers that are, you know, from the 40s and 50s that are well built that, you know, similar to the construction of a of an Airstream are going to be real durable for you. We're building the 55 Spartan right now that's going to be our full-timer. And it's, you know, a beautiful big trailer. So, yeah, you, you can't go wrong with an aluminum frame trailer or an Airstream. It's a great basis to start, especially something like you want to do what you want to do is what we're doing in the in the Spartan right now. It's got an office in it, a bathroom, and then a museum section that people will be able to tour and see some of our vintage uh, collectible items. So exactly what we're doing right now with, with the big restoration that we're involved in. From what you guys have told me, y'all's property could pretty much be toured as a museum because I just imagine in my head this idyllic California property and then there's just 30 of these beautiful trailers sitting out there everywhere and you could just like <laughs> literally put some stakes at the end of your driveway and be like vintage camper trailer, uh, museum gallery now open. Like that's kind of what I imagine. Yeah, we'll let you imagine that. <laughs> It, One it, man's junk is another man's it, treasure. <laughs> it, it more looks like some crazy hick out in the country with a bunch of old trailers. But, yeah, whatever you think. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, where can people connect with you guys and learn more about Vintage Camper Trailers? So we are uh, at VintageCamperTrailers.com and Vintage Camper Trailers on Instagram as well and Facebook and, and all that good stuff. You can subscribe to our magazine and, and get our books and things online. We've on our website, we've got another book coming out next spring that is focused on the rallies, how we started, the fun we have, kind of how we do it and how you can do it. Our mission is to help people create their own rallies in their own regions. So there is stuff for, for people to attend to. It's no fun buying a vintage trailer and not be being able to get into a sold-out rally all the time. So the more rallies we can help start, the more opportunities to enjoy the hobby and create these communities, the better off we think the hobby is. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for being on the podcast. Our pleasure. Thank Thank you, Heath. See you soon. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to that episode with Paul and Caroline from Vintage Camper Trailers. And thanks again to Passport America for sponsoring this episode. And one last thing today before you go, Alyssa and I are currently giving away a free WeBoost cell booster. You may have heard me talk about this on the podcast from time to time. It's what we use to power our internet while on the road. We have a WeBoost cell booster on our roof. It boosts our cell signal when we are in remote places. So when we're working, we can upload videos, record this podcast, and do a lot of other things that we couldn't normally do. So it's been a game changer for us, and we're currently giving one away for free. 
and it takes like 30 seconds to enter. It's really easy. Just go to heathandalyssa.com forward slash giveaway to enter the contest to win a free WeBoost Cell Booster. So that'll be going on for the next couple weeks. And uh, thank you guys for listening. I will see you all next week on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast. <laughs>